Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 65, Act 2, Carmen Kelly, A Soft Place, recorded February 5th, 2023. About irrevocability Let's burn some bridges Earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie But they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided All divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 So this past week, I was at the educational Theater Association Conference. It was held in St. Pete's, uh, which is in Florida, and it is a, a large conference with theater educators, specifically theater teachers, a lot of teachers who work in um, the school setting, and that's kind of my jam, right? And we were there uh, um, as part of the GIVE group, and GIVE stands for Growing in Inclusivity for Vibrant Engagement. I may have talked about this in the past, but perhaps not. Um, but we've been presenting at different conferences um, for the last few years, and this is the first time that we've been presented. We were able to present at this particular conference with this particular group of, of uh, educators. And the resources are for um, all uh, types of arts educators. Um, looking for resources around inclusive practices um, and supporting all learners and their access needs. And so uh, we got to engage with these theater teachers. What an amazing group of humans just really caring about their kids, the circumstances, deeply believing that theater can impact these young people. And so it was really great to be able to, to bring these kinds of conversations into that space. And I co-presented with Give trainers and teaching artists Kate Lee and Carrie Warren, who has been a guest on the podcast uh, most recently in the TAG series. And uh, together we designed and then implemented structures to create peer to peer learning opportunities as well as exploring the resources on the site um, where they could really identify what are some growing edges, like places that we want to. Um, learn and grow and expand into and how can the Give website and its resources support those um, goals. And it was, um, I don't know, I just could not be more proud of this work. It's a great partnership that we're doing across three different organizations. And again, to be able to go out into the field and support um, our, our, our community with these resources is everything. 
And so if you'd like to learn more or engage with these resources yourself, please check out teachwithgive.org, um, where you can access over 60 different resources looking at inclusive practices in the classroom setting mainly, but that are applicable to any kind of um, uh, place where you're inviting participants or engaging with participants in the arts. Um, and let us know what you think. Um, but this also makes me think about Carmen. Um, Carmen's whole sort of core, uh, it's clear that a core value of hers is to um, uh, create opportunities for access and equity. Uh, and I have to say, Carmen is a class act. It's been so fun to learn more about her background and her life experiences and how, you know, and the different intersections between the two of us and our, our experiences. And so in this act, we hear more about her swim Samaritanism. And then we start to segue into learning more about her education, her higher education, and how she is um, always seeking ways to expand her artistic learning. Um, as well as her education learning while uh, she was an undergrad at Spelman College and then later on as a grad student at NYU. Here is episode 65, act two, Carmen Kelly, A Soft Place. My brother also has a swimming ministry in, in New Orleans. A swimming ministry, you say? And he calls it that because you know my brother's a minister, but he has a swimming ministry as well. And if you go look on my Instagram, you'll see where he's swimming. He finally, he put my grandnephew into the water for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, he's follows, following the Kelly legacy. We started young and early. He can't even walk. He was in the water. He couldn't even walk yet. Oh. You gotta go look at it. But anyway, <clears throat> I think it's huge. I think it is the kind of, it's so important to me that I can give you highlights of different places where I was on a vacation, a girl's trip with some girlfriends of mine and nobody could swim but me. And I thought it was ridiculous. You go to this beautiful Caribbean island and nobody could swim. So guess what I did the next morning? I said, I'm gonna do a swim camp, 101. You wanna learn some skills, come down. I'm gonna be in the water. I'm gonna teach you a little bit how to float, how to kick, how to do. And they loved it. And you know, that was from that, they decided to go and find out where they could take classes and mm -hmm. learn to swim. Mm -hmm. I also um, believe that we had to break free of this idea that swimming was a luxury. Yeah. Um, those were a lot of thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then the, you know, tr you know, the going back traumatic slave trade syndrome mm -hmm. that's there of looking at you know, coming here to this country and there's that fear of water. Mm -hmm. But then you go to Senegal and the kids swim like crazy. Mm -hmm. They know how to swim. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, how do you bridge that gap to loving water? And like I said, being on a mission to express the power of it. I tease some of my girlfriends, you know, particularly my, my Black girlfriends, I go, Hair, health. Hair, health. Which one? Yeah, yeah. You want good health? Are you you worried about the hair? I mean, I think there's also there's also you know having 
swim paraphernalia that's made with one kind of person in mind. Right. And so there's, I think there's been a growth in the industry and better uh, equipping people um, with different hair types, for example, to have different kinds of um, uh, swim caps. Um, And I, I, yeah, I, I love that. I love that you did the clinic for your, your, your friends. I sure did. It's just so funny because like when we, so I used to belong to Manhattan Plaza health club. Yeah. I still get the emails and I'm like low, low grade jelly. Um, and I, like for me, my swim, my swim journey started in, in Manhattan, Manor Haven pool, which was like five or six blocks away from my house. But we had one in our town that was accessible for, it was a public pool. So you could, anybody could go. Um, but then if you, you know, you got, you could get a pass. And then here in, the, in New York city, all these public pools that are open, over the summer and they're located all over the city and that that idea of being a lifeguard at one of those i mean those those many of those pools are so incredibly busy the one at mccarran park i i i don't think it was last summer but the previous summer i i had a mission to like go to as many parks uh pools around the city as possible and i went there and i was like i was so overwhelmed with how many people there were in this little tiny pool um and the and this and the there's a lifeguard shortage right now. And so there's what they've cut is the lanes, the swim lanes, because most, most of the kids who are, most people who are coming are kids and they're wanting to just play, which is totally fine and fun and wonderful. And I just like the amount of joy that happens in that, in those spaces reminds me of my growing up and how I liked learning how to swim, but really my thing was I wanted to look cool. I wanted, I wanted to like swim it. I wanted to see how far I could go without breathing. I want, I love diving. I love, I loved, you know, and I was always confused by people who wanted to like exercise in the lanes like that. Like that's not what this is about. Like this is about playing games and having fun and being silly and loose. And I still feel that even when, you know, when you and I and Signe, we're in the water like my favorite part was after we swam in the lanes going to the alcove and playing <laughs> i mean granted we called it playing and tumbling i called it that and and you know signy was teaching us all the all the synchronized swim skills but i was like this reminds me of just playing and tumbling and i love it don't you think i think i think that's something that stays with you yes that joy of it comes with you every time you get in the water at Absolutely. least i feel it even though I'm getting in the swim laps, there's a moment when this, I go back, you know, from where you're the little crinkle part on your fingers because you've stayed in the water way too long and you know it and your parents just let you stay in. You yep. know you need to come out. Gotta get out at some point, but not yet. You know, and that's the first thing I did when I when I came to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, Courtney was too. That's a, That was a skill I brought. So I lifeguard and I taught swimming all over New York City from the top of the one pool that is over across from Lincoln Center to um, I ran a, 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 a pool program in Queens at Queens College, their pool that was there. Mm-hmm. And I found out none of the, the counselors knew how to swim. So I said, I can't even begin to open swimming for the kids and I told the director, I've got to train the kids, the counselors how to swim. Mm. You got to wait. You got to hold off. They can't do that. I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. Yeah. I said, how do you be a camp counselor? Nobody can swim, yeah. you know, to um, working at Manhattan Plaza. 
that's how I made my money when I first came to New York. You worked at Manhattan Plaza? Yes. I lifeguard. I, I've come full circle. <laughs> I was a lifeguard at Manhattan Plaza. This pool is so yummy. I love that pool so much. That that I I haven't been to all the pools in New York City. That is a that is a quest, by the way. But that pool, I still dream about that pool. I love it so much. I sure was. I was a lifeguard and I taught classes. The reason why I found out about it, I was taking classes at the Actors and Directors Lab that used to be directly across the street where mm. Jezebel's is now. Mm. I took classes there when I came up first for the summer. And I found out about the pool and I said, oh, I have my certification. Let me go see if they need a lifeguard. And they did. And I got hired and I taught swimming to the little ones. I used to put big tables in the water so -hmm. they could stand on them. They loved that. The little kids could stand because it made them, because guess what you remember? I got burnt by the idea that I said I would never do that to my kids. I would never let them Mm -hmm. suffer and sit on the edge. (laughs) <laughs> I would keep them in the water because it's fun. It's fun. And so the water was like right here so they could feel it. The, but the thing was they had a boundary. They couldn't come off the table. That was my thing. So uh, when I come back, not much has changed from Manhattan Plaza at all, except we used to keep one jacuzzi a lot hotter than the other one. Huh. I think that intentionally, I don't think they do it intentionally now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I worked here, so I've come full oh. circle. Now I live here. You said that you got a scholarship for basketball yeah. at Albany State, which was in Georgia, but you end, but you actually went to Spelman. So how did you get there? The reason why I ended up going to Spelman, which is interesting because my aunt wanted me to go to Fisk. My family is from a whole line of HBCUs. Everybody, all my mothers, all my aunts and my uncles, everybody, the HBCUs from FAM to... to um, um, Fisk to Howard to everywhere, you know, graduate. So that was in, that was a given. You were going to college. It's just a matter of where mm-hmm. you're going to go, right? Mm-hmm. My brother went to Morehouse and I went to visit him when he was pledging a fraternity. And I fell in love with the AU Center, which is the Atlanta University Center, which had all the colleges. Morehouse was across the street. Spellman was here. Clark College was here. That's where Kenny Leon graduated from. Um, you had Mars Brown College down the way. You had the AU Center. Um, all of these wonderful HBCUs, historically Black colleges and universities, all together in one hub. And in, purely in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Atlanta. But that was the goal, just like where Mega Edwards is to bring higher education mm-hmm. within the community mm-hmm. to say, here's an opportunity for you to go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I went to see my brother pledge a fraternity and they had a step show and I fell in love with all the beautiful black people. And when I say that, Courtney, I had not seen such a hub of my people gathered together that I just was like, every color, every hue, every hairstyle, stylish, this, that. And I was in high school, you know, I was like, ooh, Mm. I was thrilled, thrilled. Mind you, my mother and my aunt was very disappointed that I wanted to go to Spelman 
and not to fist. Because back then, a lot of black mothers sent their daughters to fist because Meharry, which was one of the first black colleges where black doctors graduated from. Wow. The other one was Howard. We only had two, now Morehouse has one. Medical school where you, you know, became a physician to marry a doctor. So the mothers would send their daughters to fist to meet <laughs> a doctor at Meharry, a guy at Meharry. So, you know, that was the thing, you know, that was, that was, a, that was a very natural thing. So I told my mother, I said, I think I like Spelman. I think I want to go to Spelman. Mind you, when I applied everywhere, Spelman was the last place I heard from. I heard from Howard. I heard from Hampton. I heard from, I heard from everybody, everybody. But I just fell in love from my brother's experience at Morehouse. And also, too, that I wanted to create, carve my own path. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go where my cousins had gone. I wanted to start a new path. You know, I said, I'm going to go to Spelman. I'm going to do something different. You know, mother, they got a drama major. I want to, I want to go. They got a theater major at Spelman. One of my girl, one of my brother's girlfriends sent me an article that had come out in the year when I was getting ready to go from Essence Magazine about this woman who had gone to Howard to study medicine and change careers, probably, I guess, in her junior year to go to the theater department and was very successful. Mm. She sent this article to me and it had a huge impact on me. Because, you know, when I was going around telling my family and everybody at our gatherings that I was going to be an actor, you know, they were looking at me like I was crazy. Like, what? <laughs> you going to do what? You going where? You going to study what? <laughs> But my mother and my parents, they were both, you know, um, very much like, okay, well, what else are you going to do? You're going to need something to fall back on. I heard that in the back of my head. Mm. Okay, you want to be an actor, but what are you going to fall back on? Make sure you get a certification to teach. Otherwise, you're going to need something to fall back on. I kept saying, mother, I'm not going to need anything to fall back on. I'm going to fall forward. I'm not going to fall backwards. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, I, I, I understood it. I got it. That's what led me, you know, like I said, to come to New York after I was at Spelman, which I did. I was a theater major at Spelman mm-hmm. and all the productions loved my experience at Spelman. Great um, place to hone my craft. Mm. to learn about drama, to really, really um, see what it looked like to create professional theater. Um, I also had an opportunity to perform at Clark, um, even join the first uh, Walter Dallas, who's now deceased. Walter Dallas used to run the Freedom Theater in Philadelphia. He was a Morehouse man, Mm -hmm. and he started a theater company called Proposition Theater Company. I was one of the founding members of his company that started right there in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it, was, it was a huge opening up of a new world and what professional theater looked like. And I was so excited. And out of that was the gem of saying, ooh, I gotta move to New York. I gotta move to California. I gotta expand if I wanna be a professional actor. I gotta really go to the place where they're really doing it. Let's see if I can do it, <laughs> you know? So out of that, 
was my desire to come to New York. I single-handedly, Courtney, looked up all these different places to make a decision whether or not I was going to continue at Spelman or go elsewhere to the oh. drama studio in London. I got accepted to the drama studio in London and my mother would not let me go because it was too far. Mm. She couldn't get to me. She said, you don't even know how to find, uh, how to find a flat. You don't know. <laughs> I need to be able to get to you right away. Mm. That's too far. But you had taken the initiative to apply. Yes. And this is this is what this is what I'm going to tell you. While I was at Spelman, I was looking for summer projects, things I wanted to do, and that's how I found NYU had a summer program, and you could go to Strasbourg, you can, you could go to these different schools to, to do. I decided on the the actors and directors lab that was run by Jack Garfine. I didn't want to do Strasbourg. I didn't want to do. Um, what was the other one? Um, it's still oh. going on now. I can't call it right off. But I didn't want to do it. Those were two. I thought they were two. I said, let me go to the actors and break this left. Now, mind you, I'm a junior at Spelman in college. Mm -hmm. My father said to me, how are you, you going to afford New York? I said, daddy, don't worry. I'll figure it out. He said, tell you what. Whatever money you save from lifeguarding, and teaching swimming, I will match it. Oh. I came to New York for the very first time in a summer program at NYU with $800 in my pocket. This is a, this is a very interesting story, Courtney. This is why you know you're on a certain path. I was supposed to start Monday morning. That Thursday, my brother was in Baltimore teaching at Gilman High School. He had just finished his master's at Springfield College and was teaching. My mother said, you've got to go to New York and help your sister find a place to live. She starts Monday morning in the summer program. She doesn't know where she's going to live. My brother said, well, I got a couple of fraternity brothers, one that lives in Queens. If push come to shove, she can always stay at his house, but I will go. My brother comes. We don't know, no way how to find an apartment. We're thinking about how it is that down south where they put a sign in the door for rent. <laughs> We're walking from NYU up and we just said, well, let's just walk. Let's see. Let's see if we can make a discovery. We happen to go up Irving Place mm -hmm. and we're just walking my brother sees a sign on the building. It says, women's residence. I said, women's, I said, wow. I said, let's go look in. We go in. The woman tells us about the place. She's a Southern woman. My brother tells her, well, my sister needs some place to live. What can you tell her or whatever? And she mentioned the thing about Barbizon. She mentioned that. She said, give me one minute in her Southern voice. We went and we sat down at the table in the dining room. I'll never forget it. And she said, I think I have something for you. I literally got a place to live, a room. It was a, 
a what's the name room, just like the Barbizon, mm -hmm. to stay that day. Who now, how does that happen? I said, okay, it's meant for me to be here. I took that place and I listen, it was a it was a godsend. I loved it. It was in Gramercy Park, a woman's resident, ran by the Salvation Army, mm -hmm. right there on the corner. Lovely place to live, paid rent. I had two meals a day. I was, was it was it was safe. We had a doorman, mm -hmm. anything. I had a key to the park. You had a key to Gramercy Park. I had rehearsals in that park. <laughs> Yo. People write dissertations about that park. <laughs> but you have to you have to turn it over when you finish. But anyway, mm -hmm. to to tell you about um Spellman was my foundation. That was the that was my junior year. And then I came again in my senior year um and was I did an externship with um, a woman by the name of Marie Thomas Foster that ran Peppermint Players in New Jersey. She was a Spelman alum mm -hmm. and she had me come up. And that was when I really got a chance to look at theater and what theater was. She was good friends with Adolph Caesar, um, who played the father in, if you saw um, Color Purple, he was the old man, the, the oh. Yeah. That's Adolf Caesar. He's deceased. His wife was a Spelman woman, mm -hmm. but he was doing a play at the time. And I got a chance to be around all of the professionals that were working in theater and doing film. And, and I had a tape recorded at the time, Courtney, and I was taping everything. Oh, you know, the old, the little, the, oh, the, yeah. <laughs> and I remember taping stuff. Now this is the eighties. Mm -hmm. I remember taping stuff. And he said to me, he said, Carmen, do you want to be a journalist or do you want to be an actor? Because you just tape it and write and everything down. <laughs> he said, these are nuggets. I don't want to lose them. What did you just say? Tell me again. <laughs> but it was it was a rich time for me. It was a wonderful time for me. Um, I am still very good friends with Marie. She's just extraordinary. She was my she was my um mentor mm -hmm. for um a long, 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 long time. I would call her if I was dealing with stuff and it was crazy when I was auditioning and stuff. But eventually I graduated from Spelman and came to New York as planned. I was ready now because I'd already experienced it. Yeah, it's an you know, I'm like, okay, we about to we about to be on and popping here in New York. And got here and moved back to the same place. They had a place for me in Gramercy Park. So, which was wonderful. Um, so I was living there, didn't stay, you know, I wasn't, um, I was happy about that. And then I think it was maybe less than a year when I was auditioning and I was getting ready to go to grad school. I was going to go to Tisch. Mm -hmm. And I had already set up my audition, I stuff to get into Tisch, my audition dates and all of that. I'd also audition for, for Color Girls. Stop. What? I did. And got the role, A Lady in Orange. This was the production that was touring. And not the one on Broadway, but the one that was touring mm -hmm. off Broadway. And I said, oh my God, Color Girls, grad school. I said, I better do 
color girls because this is an opportunity of a lifetime. But you know, I was weighing the pros and cons. For as one would. And I said, you know, and, and then I was also, you know, things were coming in my head because my professor at Spelman um, was a Yale graduate. And I remember having a conversation with you with him, and he was the one that really kind of made me finalize deciding to move to New York, not going straight to grad school right after I left Spelman. He said, well, you know, Yale is Yale. You're going to be really connected. But New York, you're going to get experience. So which one do you feel that you want to have? So I went with the grit. <laughs> so I said, when I, I, I got the job, for Color Girls, and I toured in um, the production for two and a half years. Amazing. That went everywhere. Then came back and said, okay, I can go to grad school at any time. And the opportunity came from the creative arts team. I want to ask two questions about this period of, of your of time between doing, doing the the initial uh, summer in your, between your college, your junior and, and senior year in New York, like what, what was, cause you said you came back. So what was the experience in that program like for you? At the actors and directors lab? Yeah. Loved it. What is actors and directors that still around? No, it used to be right across the street. Jack Garfine used to run it. Oh. And then Maria Leigh Piscato was one of the instructors. I loved her. So I was taking voice. Mm -hmm. I was taking acting one. And acting two, I was taking scene study. I was doing, um, what else? There was one more, ballet. I mean, a whole conservatory of, of experience. Mm -hmm. That was incredible. It was wonderful because it really gave me an opportunity to hone my craft and learn technique. Mm -hmm. I really got a chance, coupled with the technique I had learned at Spelman. Right. Now I got a chance to really take it to a whole nother level because now I'm dealing with professionals teaching this. Was there a disconnect or was there like, like you said, it felt like it, you were building on the, the technique that you had received from Spellman. It felt like this experience was building and locking things in or did you feel a dissonance? It was two things. Mm -hmm. It was some of that was present because, mm -hmm. um, it was from a European perspective. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. I, sorry, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> yes. No, it was. Yeah. So I had to connect the dots mm. as best I could. You understand? Mm. So, a coupled along with taking the ballet, I sought out Alvin Ailey and Clark Center to mm. get my jazz in to you know do dance that was close to my body and knowing that I had enough. I was, I was already, I had already had the experience of being in New York prior to that. And I knew what it offered that I, that's how I connected the, I made sure I connected the dots in yeah. that way. My last guest, for example, or a recent guest um, said that they didn't want to go to an HBCU, but then they had these other kinds of experiences that were challenging. However, the actual technique that they, they, they got, they felt like was the right um, it, whatever the, the university was the right choice for them. Um, and so based on what you just said in terms of seeking out, like building out the world, you're getting, you know, an education that's sort of rooted in the European, uh, technique. Um, and then you're going to alien, getting all these other pieces that are, are more 
inherent to who you are and sort of building out your world in, in some instances, or I think the conversation right now is how do you bring the Alvin Ailey or, you know, a more inherent, um, how do you integrate those things into a, a university experience that is not about the individual having to seek those things out, but actually that the university can offer those opportunities um, for a more diverse group of student population. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. Because this is where you have your faculty is diverse. Mm. And I think it's so needed. Um, very much so, because I think you should be able, I, the choice that I made to go to Spelman and to go to an HBCU was probably the best decision I ever made, Courtney. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that the liaison and the connections of friends and my tribe that I have of female, uh, particularly black women that are just everywhere in the world from Paris on is extraordinary. The sisterhood that we have is amazing. And you were part of a sorority. Yes, I am. And then also a theater theater fraternity, Theta Alpha Phi, uh -huh. theater fraternity, which yeah. is that I was that I was able to be in when I was at Spelman. Mm -hmm. Plus my the Greek fraternity, which is Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority yeah. Incorporated, mm -hmm. which is very much part of, like I said, that was very much a part of my roots going all the way back. Mm. in the south which is yeah. what we we did and and loved and that was a part of it but my choice for an hbcu because you know i've had a lot of conversations with you know my niece about this because she went to nova and i wanted her to go to spelman mm -hmm. <laughs> but um being able to have i think for me it grounded me mm. in a foundation that was so powerful and even the connections that i've made from you know, you look at the director of piano lesson, Latanya Richardson. Yeah. She's my Spelman alum. Ooh. Look at um, um, Samuel Jackson, Morehouse man. Mm -hmm. Denzel Washington's son, Morehouse man. Mm -hmm. And I could go on, Kenny Leon, Clark. You know, I could go on and on. So they're foundationally things that we got that was very much a part, not only of the art form and learning and developing academically, but you also got to think of the whole person, yes. your humanness, how you expand in that world and knowing what it is and feeling this. I can't even put a sense on, I can't even find a word, uh, that sense of belonging that is so necessary to see yourself reflected mm -hmm. in what you do or someone you know, or to walk in a room. Um, which allows you, I mean, that foundation allowed me to go into the rooms where I wasn't there. Gotcha. You understand? So that I wasn't there. And then how do I carve that out mm -hmm. to bring more people in? Mm -hmm. I know an experience that I had when I was, you know, and this is kind of jumping ahead. When I finally did go to do my master's at NYU and I was in the class Acting and directing and looking at all the directors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I looked at the list. Joe was teaching the class and I never forget. I looked at the, the list of the directors we were going to explore. And I'm like, well, where are, the, where are the people of color? Okay. So you took this styles of, I think it's called styles of acting and directing yes. with Joe Salvatore when you were in the program. And you noticed that there weren't a whole lot. It wasn't a very diverse group of directors. 
Correct. I think I think Lorraine Hansberry was the only representative, mm -hmm. and no Latin um, directors. Mm -hmm. So I had a combo with with um, Professor Salvador, and I said, Joe, where are the directors of color? Because at that time, Courtney, you know, I'm very experienced. I've worked at the Creative Arts team. I've done all kinds of work. I've been a practitioner for I don't know how long by the time I got into grad school. So I have all the, this experience. I know what I'm talking about. And I felt it was just very sad. But at the same time, I didn't sit in a feeling of, I'm not gonna get this. I said, no, I'm, I'm all about pushing the envelope. Let's see what's possible. And don't get me wrong. I don't think it was any, necessarily any fault of Joe's, particularly when his, his response was, I looked at it, I looked at it, I was really kind of surprised. But I, at that time, I'd already taken into my own hand, I was advocating for my own education. What did I want? Why was I going to grad school now anyway? What was the purpose? What can I get out of this, you know, structure of academia mm -hmm. that's going to serve me in the long run? What can I learn from it? I already had that in my mind. That's what I wanted to do. Because mind you, I was working full time. Mm -hmm. You know, my courses, I was taking all my classes. I, would, I had no life. No. I was getting up on a Saturday morning, going to do puppetry <laughs> with 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 the, with my instructor and planning this and knowing we got to do this so I mean so it, it was no like so I knew writing papers to the wee hours of the morning having one of my colleagues in the office reread it because she had fresh eyes because I couldn't look at it I said please read this um and her putting the red marks oh Carmen you got to do this again you must be was really tired <laughs> I said, oh. but you know I made it I had to get it done but Going back to this, Joe said, well, Carmen, you know, that isn't necessarily my background. Is there someone you can suggest? And I said, Joe, let me bring you in a list. I say, not only I can bring you in a list that will have not only um, women of color on there that I think whose work is brilliant all the way to the African diaspora, whose work is brilliant, that it's worth exploring, you know, all the way to someone like Janice Astadel Valle, who's a colleague of mine that came out of CAT, who is a fantastic Latina playwright. Um, so um, I, we began to look at different texts. He let me bring that list in. He let me take the ownership of that, which I loved very much so. Um, so I did bring it in. So we did have a chance to explore. And I said, if you ever want me to take the lead on any of these, let me do that. I can, you know, so that wasn't the only time there was another time when in one of the, another one of the classes we had, I said, oh my God, I'm bored. <laughs> I was in class and I think it was, whose class was it? I think it was, um, was it, Na it wasn't Nan's class. I think it was Nancy Swartzel's class, Nancy's class. Mm -hmm. And I asked Nancy if I could do icebreakers before we sat down. I said, Nancy, can I do some icebreakers? I just want to try some different things and I want to see, can I do that? Can I bring some? Because she knew I worked at CAD. Mm -hmm. You know, she loves Linda. She said, of course, sure. So in her class, I was, I took the onus of being able to try different you know, theater activities that I knew, icebreakers, things that 
you know, as I call it, you know, this crack open before we go into the academic part, which I loved. I mean, but that was that was me. I took the initiative to do that. Right. And and I, I, I absolutely see you doing that. What it makes me wonder <clears throat> is, you know, I'm not so much the icebreaker moment, but the let me bring in this list. What what kind of work did the professor do? You were the student. Right. You were the student. And I understand you have a wealth of practitioner um, experience and knowledge. And you absolutely, I'm sure, have um, had an impact on that professor who, you know, now I'm sure is incorporating whatever work you brought in. But like what you bringing information in is one thing. Fine. But did you were you expected to do the work or was it the group now who was taking on saying, OK, this is what we want to do? And how much was the professor doing their work? I think he did start to do his work and make some discoveries about it. Mm-hmm. What was sad about it, Courtney, that being who he was as a white man, how could you not know that? Yeah. And then being on the, the quote unquote, the pulse of training young professionals to go out into this world it's like how do you not see this how do you not notice this we've expanded long beyond Lorraine Hansberry there's so many wonderful brilliant writers you got to do your work it's a living process this work when it's good is a living process Mm -hmm. so that way you're always reflecting and looking at and, and, and being involved and going to see stuff and seeing who's at the pulse of things and what's exciting about their work. And, and bringing those, you know, the, I get it, the groundbreaking people that, you know, that were there. I mean, I love the idea that the, a couple of the pieces that he brought in was at a pivotal point. He was looking at a certain era, you know, where it was, um, it's not called bringing the boys, but it was the early stages of, of, of work by gay writers mm-hmm. and looking at gay texts mm-hmm. and what that meant. That was, that was important to me. I love that because I didn't have that exposure to that, but I'm saying the same way of, as looking at that, you know, why did he have that bridge of where, you know, the power of black theater, mm-hmm. who were those writers and what, impact they had on the world and on the work you understand yes you know Lorraine has don't get me wrong I love a raisin in the sun and I love Lorraine but she was not the only one Mm -hmm. there were so many other texts and so many other directors to be to bring forward um their work and to bring that into a conversation and to look at that and to elevate our classroom Thank you for listening to Episode 65, Act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Carmen Kelly, A Soft Place. Join us next time for even more conversations with Carmen Kelly. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jono Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Find us on Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast and now on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Potty channel and watch We Can't Go Back. 
Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.